Hey, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. When you get that Bible, please open it up. We are now in the book of Matthew, continue to be in the book of Matthew, but we are now in chapter 20. And I'm, I'm planning on having some fun today. That's my hope. So uh, be ready for that. I just may use you all. Don't run out yet. So, <clears throat> okay. Read along with me if you would, please. All right, we pick it up in verse 1. And it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Be ready for this. There may be some questions. So read the details with me. I'll start again just to preempt that. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went at about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been here standing idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. Well, he said to them, Will you also go into the vineyard and do and whatever is right you will receive? So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came were that were those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. For when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. When they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, and he said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil? Because I'm good. So, the last will be first. The first, last, for many are called, but few chosen. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, please take this time, every moment of it, make it yours. Draw us deeper and more meaningfully into you. Cause us to get it today, to really Get it. Lord, may we have so much fun in this text, but may it burst open and come alive for us, Lord, in such a way that every one of us does more than ascribe information, but that we interface with you, that we encounter you, that we experience you and your word and know you better and the call you've placed on our life better. And Lord, thank you so 
much for the privilege of being able to take this time and to be able to seek you, to serve you, Lord, and that you would be pleased, that you would be blessed with this time, not just with me, Lord, but with each of us, me included. Lord, that there would be today a genuine transformation in each of us as we seek to surrender to you, Lord. May we take this text and live it out in a way, Lord, that we get it and we take the warnings from it and the encouragement. So we commit ourselves to you now. Pray you would have your way. So, Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit. Come upon me that you would make me your mouthpiece. And, Lord, in that now, hem my heart to yours, and that everything I say is completely in rhythm with your heartbeat, I pray. So, Lord, do your work now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the, be, the Bible be the final say. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this text, I remember being a younger Christian, and I would read this and kind of go, What? I mean, it, it, I, I could see why people would kind of read this and go, I, 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 at least I can sympathize with this guy that worked all day. Man, for goodness sakes, he's, as he said, he's borne the brunt of this. Why in the world is this guy getting the same? And what is the context? And you, and you start asking, well, why is Jesus even telling us this story? And why is he telling us it now in this text? So let me put things into perspective. Timestamp. We are in the last two weeks of Jesus' ministry before his murder. By the next chapter, chapter 21, Jesus will actually descend from the Mount of Olives through the Valley Kidron into Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. We know that as Palm Sunday. That's the beginning, if you will, of Matthew chapter 21. The chapters 18 through 20 are, in essence, Jesus' 85 to 100-mile trek down from Capernaum, from that area, actually gone farther north where he had been transfigured, and made his way down now to Jerusalem. He's on his way. He's basically now just at the point where he's really somewhere roughly 10 to 20 miles away from Jerusalem on his way in. I know that because we're going to get rather close next uh, next week, God willing, if we pick up the rest of the text. By the end of chapter 20, Jesus will already be in Jericho, and Jericho is not that far from Jerusalem. We'll see that next week. So here we are now with this imminent death of Jesus before his eyes. In his cross here, all that he can see is the cross and its purpose. That he's come to seek and to save the lost. And while he is completely consumed with that, well, his leaders, his disciples, his students, the ones he's going to hand off all of this, excuse me, this power and authority then, he's going to hand all of that off to a bunch of guys who were arguing over who would be greatest. In 18.1, it started with them asking, who then is the greatest? In chapter 19, we see somebody who would have been appeared to be very great in the eyes of the world, a ruler who was rich and young, so he'd made it early in life, and he's got a lot of money and a lot of stuff. And he tells us in 1916, good teacher, what must I do that I may have? In that case, eternal life. But please understand, the guy had acquired everything else, and now on his list is eternal life. And he just kind of looks and goes, what do I got to do to get it? And I can understand how that must roll and spin in the minds of the disciples who are kind of doing the same thing. By chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus will tell us that many that are first right now will be last, and many who are last now will be first in the kingdom of heaven. In this chapter, by verse 16, he tells us the same thing. And then he tells us in verse 25 that the Gentiles lord over others. And from the unsaved, unchurched world, the way it looks that success is how many people are under you. 
He says, but the kingdom of heaven is completely opposite of that. And what we're going to find is that the boys, two of them, James and John, sons of thunder, although dad's called Zebedee, so I wonder if mom's really thunder. Uh, they'll get mom and they'll get mom to maneuver and actually ask Jesus for those positions. So they're not done. And you start to wonder exactly how would you leg up on the next person in the Christian world? If there were rungs to climb, what would you do to get there? Do you enter in as sort of a youth pastor, as a janitor, and then work your way to a study, and then to a youth pastor, and then assistant pastor, and finally someday you get the big show? If that's the way you're thinking, boy, you're really in the wrong place. And Jesus, in the midst of that mindset, tells us this story. So let's live it out for a second. Because I want us to kind of get what he's telling us here. And then we'll apply it to our context and pray. First of all, it's kind of important to note a couple parallels, even before we start this. It's important to recognize that Isaiah 1.5 tells us that the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is Jerusalem, the house of Israel, he'll tell us. And so I can kind of look at that and compare that when I look at the vineyard. But let me ask you something. First of all, who is going to hire What is his position? The guy who is doing the hiring. He's a landowner. That's important to recognize. He's not just somebody that's a tenant farmer. He's not just middle management. He is as high as the level can get on this. He owns the land. Do you see that? So let me ask you, by the way, well well said. How many times does he go and get people? Ooh, someone said it. Five times. Five times he goes to hire people. Now, according to this, it tells us the first is at the break of dawn. The second is at the third hour. The third is at the sixth hour. The fourth is at the ninth hour. And the fifth is at the eleventh hour. Do you get that? So I'm going to make you do a little bit of math. Some of you actually like that. Some of you, that word actually makes your skin crawl and you get palpitating. But the Jewish clock starts, the Hebrew clock starts at 6 a.m. So the first hour is 6. So let me ask you then. If the clock starts at 6 a.m., what is the third hour? 9 a.m. If the third hour is 9 a.m., what does that make the sixth hour? 12. Excellent. That's noon. Look, you guys are getting it. Don't lose me now. And then what does that make the ninth hour? Excellent. 3 p.m. Oh, you own it. Keep, keep going. What is the eleventh hour? 5 p.m. Are you with me on that? Now, what I find interesting, by the way, is that it makes five different times that this landowner is recruiting. But you're probably aware of the fact that every day in the temple where Jesus would be, he hasn't made it there yet on this particular trip. But every day in the temple, there are five key points or moments that are really, if you will, five non-negotiable points on your diary every day. The first is at the break of dawn. Because that is the morning sacrifice. The second, by the way, are the second, third, and fourth, if you will, the third, sixth, and the ninth hours, are the hours of prayer. And then the final one would be the evening sacrifice. So what we have is a morning sacrifice, an evening sacrifice, and in between those three distinct points, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. And let me ask you again, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour, what hours are those? 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m., 
It's important to recognize, and I'll give you a little side note, and then we'll start developing this text. But for what it's worth, the Talmud kind of tells us, and, and not that the Talmud is scripture. That's a collection of Jewish traditions collected roughly in the 500s A.D. But it tells us in Berachut 26b, by the way, that the three different times each had a very distinct theme. I do know that, by the way. The first of them is called the Shacharit. The Shacharit, by the way, you always started the day with praise because you didn't really just want to start asking God for stuff because that was kind of rude. I know, granted, I get that. If you're a kid, you kind of do that. You wake up and you say things like, where's breakfast? But when you're talking to God, you want to start with praise. But the first hour of the day is dedicated, if you will, with the theme of this. God, give. Give what I need for the day. Please give. At noon, by the way, we have our second. That's called the mincha. Mincha, by the way, if you will, means to present or give a a gift or an offering. And that time the theme would be God speak. Then finally, the final hour of prayer. And again, not that you're not to pray without or to pray with ceasing or not women, not you're not. Well, you get it. We should pray without ceasing. But uh, the the third uh, at 3 p.m. is the ma'ariv. Or the Arvit, and it really is the time where we would say, God restore or God save. Because it's that time now we're much more conscious of the sin of the day, and we're asking God, God, restore me to you, save me, forgive me for my trespasses for that I've done this day. Now, the reason I say that is, for what it's worth, and again, I'm just giving you a side rabbit trail on all this. The first of them, God, what was it? God what? Give. Excellent. The second one, God speak. And the third one? God save. Excellent. On Shacharit, the morning, dawn, that first one, that that third hour of the day, it's interesting for what it's worth what takes place during that time. First of all, it's important to note that at the third hour of the day, Jesus was crucified. We recognize that. We're told that, by the way, in Mark 15.25. It is also important to note that in Acts 2.15, during the third hour of the day, God gives his Holy Spirit, pours it upon roughly 120, praying in a room, They start to speak in other languages. And, of course, from that, God brings about a harvest. While we're praying God give, God gave his son and God gave his spirit. Important to note that. The second one, the mincha, during that time of noon, what are we praying? What are we asking God to do? God speak. Excellent. During that time, by the way, something radical takes place at Jesus' crucifixion. That is the moment when the sky goes black. We are praying God speak and the sky goes black. We also recognize, by the way, during this time in John chapter 4, verse 6, it was the moment when Jesus sits down at a well and reveals to a woman at the well that he is the Messiah. It is during that time, by the way, in John 19, that Pilate will actually present Jesus before the people with a crown of thorns and say, Behold your king. It is also important to note that in Acts chapter 10, when Peter goes to pray, because it is that mincha, it is the time when God shows him, if you remember that buffet, the bug and beast buffet uh, on a picnic, uh, and then tells Peter to kill and eat, and three times he says no, and God is going to tell him from that, what I've made clean, you shall not call common. So throughout Scripture, I challenge you to look at those things, the sixth hour God speak, and that happens, but the last of them. Oh, God, save. What is interesting, because it's, it's important to note that during that ninth hour, we, don't, we do know that was the time when we read Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, and he gives up his spirit. It is during the time of the ninth hour prayer that Jesus dies. And of course, I see that's, that's perfect meaning for that. 
It's also important to note for what it's worth, it'll be the time when a man was restored and healed in Acts chapter 3. And it was the time in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius is spoken to, to invite Peter so that he could come and get saved. And I get it. God knows what he's doing as he starts to put all these pieces together. Now, back in our story here, and again, forgive the rubber trail, but it kind of just at least puts a little bit of cool Jewish depth to this. During this particular time, what we have then are these five times during the day. Dawn, nightfall, and the three in between, the third, the sixth, and the ninth hour. Are you with me so far? Okay. Now, during those times, this is what we read. First of all, who's the hirer again? Who is he? He's the landowner. This is his property. So he's going to go. Now, why does a guy hire people to go to his vineyard? Well, what does he need? He needs laborers. Why? What do you think is the state of his vineyard at that moment? It's a time of harvest. Don't miss this. It is not only a time of harvest, but it is a time apparently of plentiful harvest. And one thing we certainly get through this story is we get the idea here that there's too much harvest for the laborers. No matter how many laborers he seems to get, he needs more. Did you get that? It's like he couldn't just scoop up a bunch of laborers that morning. He actually had to keep going and keep going and keep going till, till ultimately, by the way, there are some people that are only going to work less than an hour. Now, aware of the fact, by the way, that as we start this, the, you, know, you consider the fact that the marketplace was a place where guys went to get something. They went to buy something and they went to get hired. It was the job center of the day. So they stood at a particular gate of the marketplace and that said, I'm hireable. Does that make sense so far? Now, in, in Camden, you can just walk south of Camden Town Station. Today, you'd have to walk past it anyways because it's closed. I'm not bitter. And then beyond that, to the right, you'll see the job center, and there will always be people standing out there. And by the way, when you walk by, you can see that there are certain people that are really serious about being hired and some people that really don't. That, that, they kind of look like they're looking more for a date than they are a job. I mean, you can kind of see them. You're like, hmm. So I kind of put that picture in my head. So live this out with me for a moment. So let's just take a particular person while we can, and we're going to make him the landowner. Come on out here, Hugo. Hugo's going to be our landowner for the moment. Now, Hugo has to pay one of these. I'd like to show you this. This is a 2,000-year-old denarius. This is the same coin that Jesus would be speaking about. It's the same coin, by the way, when Jesus would say, you know, well, about paying taxes. We'll see that coming soon, by the way. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, what inscription and images on it, and they'll say Caesar's. That's what he looks like right there. Uh, I think he was probably bigger. I don't think that's to scale. And, uh, and then ultimately, uh, render unto God that is God's, and we'll see what that is. Now, this is a day's wage. By the way, this is the high end of a day's wage, by the way. This is if you've got a full day's pay for a full day's wage. Now, I'd like you to consider, as I look at the average pay today, and I did this for London, very different from the UK. You're aware of that. That's a little over 43,000 a year. That's the median income for London. Now, probably most of us in this room are kind of looking going, <laughs> I guess we're on the other end of that. Now, but if we did it and we took off, let's say, you know, 52 days, which are your weekends, and we took off, you know, a week or two as regards to sick pay and your holiday pay, what that roughly makes it is roughly 300 days of work a year. Now, obviously, again, some of us or most of us here go 300 days. Uh, that makes this roughly about 115 pounds. So imagine this coin being worth 115 pounds. Now, how many of you think you make that much a day? But then you have to take out 40% for your taxes. So that's the gross income is kind of the idea here. 
So this is how it starts. This guy goes and he's going to go hire because he's got he's got a harvest that he needs to send laborers to. The harvest is obviously plentiful. And at this moment, the laborers are few. Are you with me so far? So with that, then he goes and he finds his first crew. Now, when does he find his first crew? Yeah, well, what appears is at daybreak. So these are the serious ones. You can tell by the way they dress. You can tell by the way they're ready. They are ready. It's at daybreak. And that which tells you, by the way, not only are they serious, but also the landowner is serious about getting this picked. Are you with me on that? Now, with that, by the way, it tells us that he finds them and he offers them a specific amount for pay. How much does he offer them? A denarius. Did you notice that? Now, in other words, give me a full day's work and I'll give you a full day's pay. And I'll give you the high end of a full day's pay. Does that make sense so far? Now, did you notice that those that were hired at daybreak were actually, it was discussed, their amount? Does that make sense? Where did he find them? What does it say? At the job center. Yeah, very good. Does it say where he found them? Just as he found them, he found them already. We're going to find that the rest are going to be at the marketplace. That tells us something. So he goes, so let's make that the four of you at this moment, okay? So you guys are the dawn patrol. You are serious. You're going to take this thing and you're going to work the day. Now, I want to remind you that working was not considered a, you were entitled to. It was not considered a right. It was considered a privilege. It's important to recognize that. Nobody has to hire you. And for you to show up there tells you you're serious, but you're not guaranteed a job. So this guy shows up, and I kind of get the idea he wants the pick of the litter. Did you notice that? But did you notice he actually gets the whole litter anyways? So he goes and he shows up, and for the four of you, he's like, hey, you guys, here's the deal. If you're willing to give me a full day's work, I'm going to give you the high end of a full day's wage. Are we agreed? And they say, yes. All right, cool. Well, let's go. Now, it's clear it isn't like he brought his vineyard with them. So what that means at that moment is they have to go and get to the vineyard. So let's just roughly give it a 15-minute trek. How's that? 15-minute track. That means you guys show up roughly about 6.30, 6.15, 6.30 at the vineyard, and you start picking. Now, by the way, did you notice that it doesn't say anywhere in there that he checked for callous hands or for any form of great experience or anybody was a grapeologist? It's a vineyard. We know what grows on vines. You know, uh, It wasn't like he looked and said, all right, now which one of you has a degree in grapeology? Did you notice he was not looking for experience? He was not looking for in- for endowment, like how great talent. He wasn't looking for anybody that had some form of erudite, you know, education or equipping. It's a very simple thing. Those round things, more than likely green or red, when you see them, pick them, put this, pull them off, put them in a basket, and then repeat as necessary. Did you get it? Yeah. Pick them, put them, repeat. That's it. Now, imagine them going, oh, I'm not too sure. I don't really have a lot of experience. Well, here's the crazy part. It's like credit. You can't get it until you have it, right? Isn't it weird how that works? You can't get experience until you get experience. And people are like, I don't have any experience evangelizing. And might I say, well, then get experience evangelizing. Here's the great thing. And pardon me for just being crude and brash about it. They're already going to hell. You have nothing to lose. So you get out there and you share Jesus with them. 
And as you share Jesus with them and they say no, if you've done it so that you've given them a choice and you said, look at Jesus, died for your sins and he really wants you. He, he was buried. He rose again on the third day and you've got a choice to make. Will you receive him as Lord and Savior? And that we read the Holy Spirit does the convicting anyways, convicting the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. So that's not even your part. Your part's just throwing the seed and watching what happens. It's grabbing the round things and pulling on them. So with it, if they say no, you still won. They lost, but you won. And then you go, guess what? I just have a little bit of experience. Then go and repeat as necessary. So he goes to the first crew, and there you go. So you guys go ahead and stand up and start working for a moment, okay? So there you are. Now, how are you doing? You're picking. You're putting in your basket. Now, the basket's kind of usually over the shoulder. It comes around like this. So you're picking. Come on, work with me here. We're picking. Yeah, yeah. No, well, you can do it. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Jenny. There she is. She's picking. See, look at how happy she is. She's happy to be picking. Now, look at the rest of them already. The, don, the rest of them already. Now, okay, we get to the next time. When is the next time? The third hour. Now, what time is that again? 9 a.m. How long have they been working? Really somewhere under, roughly around three hours. Does that make sense? Now, so that gives us our second group. Now, let's just say that's you guys in these two rows here. Okay, now, they're somewhat ambitious, but they've got to stop to get Starbucks first. That's kind of the second group, right? And the first group, they're up before anything opens. So the second group, by the way, they're kind of like, yeah, we'll go and do it, but first I need my latte. Does that make sense so far? So they're still going to be ambitious, right? So come on over. Come on over, boss. And go ahead and hire. Now, what does it tell us? What do we know about these guys? Tell us everything we can learn from the text. They were standing idle where? On the marketplace. Do you think they're waiting for the mall to open? So they're there at, you know, they're at Westfield right now, waiting. The doors aren't even open. Mr. Pretzel isn't open yet. None of that. You know, they're kind of waiting. And what else do we know? Do we know anything else about them here? Oh, I got you digging into the text. Not much. Okay, let me ask you. What price did they decide upon to work? There was no price decided. Did you notice that? Now, if they thought they were entitled to work, wouldn't you discuss your pay? The fact that you showed up after the crack of dawn tells you that it's even a greater grace that you've been hired. So because of that, you weren't going to argue over price because you're just happy to be honest to make whatever you can for the hours you're going to work. Does that make sense so far? So he hires them and he says, and whatever is right, I'll give you. Now, they don't know him, that we have any recollection of, at least at this point, we have no point in the story to believe they have some previous history with them. So they have to just trust somehow that whatever he thinks is right is going to be good. He might think, well, what I think is right is a kick in the leg and send you out of here. So that's our, that's our third group. Does that make sense? Our second group. Sorry, that's our second group. What time did they get hired? Okay, they get hired at 9, so they show up at the field roughly 9.15, 9.30. Are you with me on that so far? So that's our second group. Now, while they show up, what about you guys? Go ahead and go ahead, give me, oh, I'm sorry, I know you're ready. So you're back picking, and as you're picking, you look over and you see them come in. What's your attitude towards them? Oh, check out the lazy ones who showed up. The latte crew showed up. Hey, yo, share that, you're going to share that latte? Don't be bringing it if you can't share it. So that's our third, our second group, I'm sorry. Second group showed up roughly nine. They got hired roughly nine, roughly 9.15. Now they're in with the crew. Now, at this point, did you notice there's already a strata? The strata is a strata of seniority. 
Does that make sense? Because, hey, we've been here longer. We deserve more. Did you get that? But what's clear is there's still too much harvest. And because there's still too much harvest, more have to be hired. Because more have to be hired, he has to go out again. So tell me what he has to do with the sixth hour. What do we learn about those people? What do we read? He did likewise. So what does that mean? He showed up. Where do you think that the third crew was? Yeah, but see, now they're actually not the latte group because they, now this is people who got up at the crack of noon or crack of, crack of 11. So why don't we call these people the blackout drapes people? You know, those are the ones who want to make sure that they can get a really good morning sleep. Because the 9 a.m. crew, they're still relatively early for us, but certainly not for a, a farming culture. So the third crew gets hired at what time? They get, they get hired at noon. So imagine that, sorry I'm putting you in that crew right now, but imagine, so you guys are the noon crew. So the noon crew now, he has to come and he's like, look it, I need you to work. Would you like to work? Okay, I would kind of like to work. That would be really cool. That's cool. All right, okay, well, I want you to come in. Whatever I feel like paying you, I'm going to pay you. Whatever I think is right is going to be enough. And you're like, okay, I'm just happy to have a job. And no matter how much we complain about our job, it's kind of like your organs. <laughs> you can complain about it, but if they don't work at all, it's a whole different world. So with that in mind, here it is with the situation where these guys get no one. Now, at this point, when they get brought in, how do you think that the 9 a.m. crew thinks of them? They're like, oh, the lazy crew, those blackout drapes people. Well, if you think they're thinking about that, what do you think happens with the first crew? At this point, there's bile. They kind of threw up in their mouth. They're angry because of the noon crew. Does that make sense? No, that is how many crews has he hired up to this point? Three. At the crack of dawn, the dawn patrol. Then there's the latte crew, if you will. Then there's the blackout drapes peeps. Well, then he's going to go, I still have too much more. I still need more. So we need to go hire some more people. So then he comes over and he finds the 3 p.m. people. 3 p.m.? Who do you hire at 3 p.m.? We have to call this the slackers. No, not that you two are, but you did. It's like the slackers, because at this point, why weren't they there at the crack of dawn? Why weren't they there at 9? Why weren't they there at noon? I mean, at this point, it's like you know you're in trouble when your first meal of the day can be, made, can be given with fries. So he kind of shows up and he's like, look it, I still need you to work. Could you guys work for a couple hours? Now, if you do the math, when does the work day end according to our text? You're really close. You're really six. Six is when the hours close. So how long are you two going to be working? Three hours, right? If you get hired at three, you're going to show up. In three hours, you're done. So he shows up and he goes, look, I need some more people. Whatever I feel like paying you, I'll pay you. Are you cool with that? And you're like, yes, please, I just want to work. Does that make sense? But let me ask you, where does he find the last crew? Does it even say? It doesn't say where he found them. So at this point, now he's got to go look. 
So, we, you know, we've got the Dawn Patrol, and we've got the Latte Crew, and we've got the Blackout Drapes Peeps, and we've got the Slackers. And now he's got to go looking, and he's got to go really far out there. And where he's going at this point, I imagine he's knocking on doors and, like, getting people. You guys are the Couch Patrol. You know, you were the ones at this point. It's like, at this point, you've laid in the couch long enough that the couch knows you well. And when you get up, the imprint of you is still in the couch. And, you know, when you get up, there's a part of your back that says, don't leave me. Don't leave me to the couch. I'll miss you. Call me. Call me. Right. Because at this point, you know, there is such a relationship between that 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 couch and you, you know. And matter of fact, some days you can walk in and you're not really sure where you end and the couch begins. And he goes over and now I'm saying, what time of the day are we looking at now? Five, how long are you going to work? At most. That's if you run to the vineyard, right? He's like, you guys ready to put in a full, you know, hard working 45 minutes? You're like, yeah, okay. Well, then come with me. Now, at this point, when these people show up, how do you think these people respond? How do you, how do you think the slackers respond to them? To be honest, I think there's a part of me that probably thinks, well, <laughs> good, at least I'm not the lowest people on this thing. There's somebody worse off than me. But unfortunately, they can look at that, and then the blackout drapes peeps, they kind of look and they go, yeah, well, look at what in the world? Are you serious? One hour left, and this is what's left? And there's a disdain there. But you can imagine the higher up you go on this, the worse it gets. Here's the crazy part. Every group but the first has already been looked down upon by the first group. So you're like, I can't believe those people look at us like we're second-class citizens. We showed up. I mean, we showed up at nine. Granted, we had a lot. We showed up at nine. But then you look at the next group and go, I just can't believe those guys showed up at noon. What kind of people do they think they are? And then the, the noon crew looks and goes, oh, man, can you believe how much we've been dissed by the people that are already there? And then like, oh, my goodness, he brought in people at three. What kind of guy brings in people at three? What kind of people show up at three? And then three people fell like, oh, man, look at how I'm looked down upon. And then you kind of look over and you go, yeah, what? Less than an hour. These guys basically, you know, think about it. By the time they start picking, I'm washing up. I mean, by this point, it's like you might as well use my basket because I'm pretty much done for the day. Are you with me so far? Have a seat. Thanks, Hugo, for all of your hard work there, you know. And then, but then somewhere, yeah. And then somewhere in all of this, he calls them to pay them. Now, are, are, are you guys following me? Have I lost anyone yet? Because I think at this point, Hugo has successfully hired all of you. Is that right? So I want to make sure you get that. And if he's hiring, then you are going to what? Work. This is about work. You with me so far? Now, it is important to recognize why he calls them in to pay them. According to Leviticus 19.13, it tells us that the wages of him who was hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. It was required for you to pay them each day for their day's work. In Deuteronomy 24:15, it says, Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, because if he's poor, he set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be a sin to you. God's like, you better pay them. As a matter of fact, God will tell us that the wages of those who mowed your fields is cried out, the cries of those who have mowed your field, the wages of those have not been paid. And those people are crying out to the Lord of the harvest, to the Lord of Sabbath. And man, he's hearing this. He's taking this seriously. So the guy is being a responsible boss. 
There's nothing questionable about his practice. The guy is not, I mean, he would be the kind of guy that pays his taxes. I know for some of you that's more of a daydream to have a boss who actually follows the rules. For some of you it's not. But imagine, he calls them all forward, and as he calls them all forward, who is the first person he wants to have paid? The, right, the couch patrol, right? The couch potatoes. And he pays them. Now, let me ask you, what do you think their response is to getting paid a day's wage? Would you not be, I mean, unless you are completely, absolutely a potato head. I mean, at this point, I would imagine you would be blown away and very, very thankful. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? What? A denarius. But the moment that first denarius lands on one of your hands, how do you think they feel about that? Well, and there's, well if we don't, you don't know how much you're going to get paid. And what he tells us is what they think is, oh, man, if they gave them a denarius, I'm getting a Bentley. And I kind of where this is working. But let me ask you, of all of your groups, which group in here was where the one is the one group that he discussed wages with? Which group was it? First one. And how much did you work it out for? A denarius. You agreed to that payment at the beginning of the day. However, the moment he gives them a denarius, you start getting angry. Well, the moment you see what you get. Because you're convinced, even though we agreed to a denarius, maybe somewhere, we, maybe I just worked so good. Maybe my work was so impressive. Maybe I set my hands in such a way that everyone's so blown away that clearly at this point, man, I'm going to get it. So what happens is he pays and he pays and he pays out. And when he gets to this last group, the Dawn Patrol, what is their response to the denarius? What does it tell us? Okay, yeah, and make sure you get it out of the text. What's the thing they do? Yeah, they complain. Right. They're, of course, clearly jealous. Right. They complain. And who do they complain to? The landowner. Now, I remind you, getting hired is a privilege. It's not a right. So they complain. And what, here's the interesting thing. What does the landowner call them? He calls them something unique that he does not call anyone else. Friend. Did you notice that? The question is, how important would it be to be called friend? Would it be better just to get paid more? Or would it just be awesome to be called friend? He says, friend, I've done you no wrong. What did we agree upon? Well, we agreed upon a denarius. And what did I give you? A denarius. But you gave them too. But here's the crazy thing. In their complaint, here's the wild thing. They says. By giving them that, what have you done with that other crew compared to us? What does it say in the text? You've made them equal to us. Oh, there's the problem. What they said is, by giving them all of that, they're equal with us. Well, what does that tell you about the Dawn Patrol, what they think of the other group? But they're better than them. How dare you make them equal with us? Don't you realize we've been working all day? We've borne the brunt of the labor. How dare you make them equal? 
we deserve more. And he tells them, friend, I've done you no wrong. I paid what I agreed. But then he also tells them one other thing. What, unique to this group alone, what does he tell them to do? Specifically, the individual he's speaking to. Take what is yours and go away. You know, it's interesting. He never tells any of the other people to go away. Now, I kind of get the idea if he's hiring at 5 p.m. to close shop at 6, that he's going to need more people tomorrow. Don't you? I tend to think that it didn't get done all the way. There's more harvest tomorrow. But sad enough, the one group that probably will not be coming back will be the group you would have expected to come back tomorrow. This is what happens when you have a system of works. When it is all about your works, you're always going to have to be better than someone else. And when someone shows up late and someone is given grace, you get angry. Isn't that sad? When it's all about how great you can pray, how much you give to the church, how dedicated your fantastic commitment to, to some organization, in the end of it all, someone's going to be less than you and someone might be better. But if you think you're in Dawn Patrol, you might be in trouble. I remind you, Jesus is dealing with his disciples right now who are arguing over greatness. And you know what the one thing that the Dawn Patrol had over the other groups? Seniority. They had been there longer. And I wonder if this was the argument with the, with the, the disciples. Now, if I have it right, there were two guys, at least, that were disciples of John the Baptist. One of them is clearly Andrew, Peter's brother. One appears to be John, the writer of the Gospel of John. Ultimately, they will go, Peter, Peter will be retrieved by his brother. Jesus will call him the rock ahead of time. Peter, you're Simon, but we're going to call you Peter. And then Jesus starts calling them. He calls the four fishermen. And after he calls the four fishermen, what you get out of it ultimately is he calls Philip. And Philip finds Nathaniel. So we have those two. But according to all the people who were called, does anyone know who the last person that seemed to be called in the Gospels was of those 12? Because, by the way, it is actually made pretty clear which one was the last of the 12. It was Matthew. It was Matthew, if you remember, because actually he'll raise the paralytic. He's still got a bunch of guys with him until he uniquely tells the 12 that he sets apart. The one per- the last person that we read, he say, follow me until we deal with guys like the rich young ruler and so forth, is actually Matthew, which I find is interesting. Is He's the one who's writing this particular gospel down, and this particular parable is unique to the gospel of Matthew. You're not going to find it in the others. I think this really impacted him. And I can see why. If you have maybe the four fishermen looking at Matthew and going, don't you realize we've been here since the beginning? You were a latecomer. How in the world do you think you're going to be the greatest? Don't you see? We've got seniority. And I could see Matthew buying into that. I could see Jesus kind of overhearing this particular thing. He's like, look, I need to tell you a story. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And he went to go hire some people. And don't you think for a moment that your seniority is going to get you something greater Except this, if you stay with me the whole time and your heart is right, I'll call you friend. What you'll find is Jesus will say to them, 
I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Because he, servants don't know what their master's about. And I love this particular text for this because what Jesus is really trying to do is he's trying to put these guys back in their place. And by the way, it's interesting. If you're a pastor, and, and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, maybe you are, you just don't know it yet. So I look at some of you and I actually tend to very much believe that. And you kind of meet up with people and you start to talk and you meet where other pastors are and you kind of start, people start evaluating you like you would when you walk in a crowd. I mean, traditionally, the most surface, shallow answer is, well, how big is your church? You know, and you'd say things like, well, God goes there, so it can't get any bigger, and that doesn't really help them at all. But they realize, I mean, pastors start to realize that that really is kind of a very selfish question to ask. So what do you, where do you go next? The next question you ask is, so how long have you been a pastor? And the easiest answer, of course, is, well, I think God ordained that before I was born. I mean, I've been wearing the badge that long. Those first 19 years must have been real rough on God for that. So let me ask you something. How many of you here, and this is a show of hands thing, so don't be afraid. How many of you here would say that you gave your life to Christ before you hit 10? Raise your hand. Okay, hold them high. Hold them high. I want people to see. Don't be afraid, unless you're not sure. Okay, good. Hands down. How many of you would say that you gave your life to Christ between 10 and 15 years old? Raise your hand. Okay, sweet. Take a look around. How many of you between 15 and 20? I should probably raise my hand on that, yeah? Okay, between 15 and 20. Sweet. How many of you between 21 and 30? Well, look back there. See, interesting that the ones who have, that came late are the ones who came late. They're in the back row. How many of you after 30 gave your life to Christ? Take a look around. Isn't that interesting? Well, put yourself in which crew? Are you the Dawn Patrol? Are you the third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour? The latte group? The blackout curtain peeps? Are you the slackers? Are you the couch potatoes? Which group are you? But what seems interesting is, is there will always be somebody that will come a little later. How do you deal with them? What's your attitude? Do you look at them and just praise God that another person has been brought into the harvest? Or do you look and go, really, this is really going to mess things up? And as I look at this, it really kind of ends kind of sad, isn't it? What isn't sad about it is, look, it, it isn't that the Dawn Patrol was guilty because they were the Dawn Patrol. Actually, you'd think that that would be the best place to be. And it really is the best place if your heart is right. But it reminds you, in the story of the prodigal son, who had the biggest problem with the, with the prodigal coming home? Yeah, did you notice it wasn't just the brother, it was the older brother. There's our problem. When Jesus is dealing with the religious leaders, what, do you, what group do you think they are? Because what Jesus is doing is he's bringing in the 6th, ninth, and 11th hour people. Because that, which means they had an awful lot of time to live. They had an awful lot of day to live before they got hired. And they're definitely going to be a little rough around the edges. 
But if my 11th hour people showed up and they picked one basket of grapes, that's still one basket of grapes. And if my dawn patrol showed up at dawn, appropriately, and they picked 50 baskets of grapes, that's 51 baskets of grapes with the 11th hour people. And if you love the vineyard owner, you just be happy the grapes were getting paid. Because the grapes will ultimately turn into grape juice. And that grape juice, by the way, when they actually step on those grapes, it is considered the most joyful time of the year. And you all get to be a part of it. What's sad to me will be those who actually never show up at all. They could think, well, I, I don't have what it takes. He's not looking for equipping empowered, educated, experienced. What he's looking for is eager. And that's the part you choose. Are you eager? Maybe you did show up late. Maybe you didn't show up at dawn. Are you eager now? Or do we want to just take a slacking mindset into a slacking day? And go, no, I don't want to work that last hour. When Tay was really, really little, I remember this story because it sticks in my head so profoundly. There was a man that we were told about that gave his life to Christ at 84, died shortly thereafter. But at 84, he gave his life to Christ. And I remember Shantae saying, such a waste. And they kind of looked because everyone was celebrating this man's salvation. They kind of looked at surprise at Tay and her response was, all those wasted years. And there is the sad part of the 11th hour is there is all those wasted years. But there is a great joy that they came. It's Suzanne's grandfather, who was 94, who on his deathbed, God would not let him die until he said yes. I wonder how long it would have been had no one else given him a choice. But he, you could tell he wanted to die. And he was stubborn as a mule. But God says, you are, if you're going to say yes, I'm going to give you that chance. And you know, there are people out there. Please hear me as we bring this to close. There are people out there that say they don't want to believe in Jesus because they think they could live a really good life. And a rapist could turn, repent, give his life to Christ. And a rapist can make it in. But they won't. But let me ask you, the moment they give their life to Christ, what happens to them? They become a new creation. They're no longer a rapist. That person dies. Jesus doesn't let rapists into heaven. He also doesn't let good people in. He would, there just aren't any. But what if we actually saw the privilege it is to get into the field? And not just saw it as work. The problem is, let's be honest, we live in a place where we feel so entitled that we actually, if they actually tell us we have to do something for it, we're offended. Because we're used to being given things without even having to work for it. And if we feel entitled to that, where in the world is it where we actually do anything? And then we take that to church. And we're consumers. What do I get? How can I get it? What do I get? How do I get it? Instead of actually being someone that says, I'm showing up, Lord... And I'm offering myself as an instrument of righteousness as you call me to.
So we can come to take. But consider this. When Jesus goes off on the scribes and Pharisees, he says that for a pretense they'll make long prayers and they'll devour widows' houses. And I get it. Jesus tells them, by the way, how will they escape the condemnation of hell? Please hear this with your heart. What they were known for were two simple things. Their religion was about two things. Taking and performing. That was it. About taking and performing. The way they gave, the way they prayed, the way they fasted, it was for performance. And they would consume widows' houses to get what they wanted. Let me ask you, because I've had to walk through it for the week. How much of my Christianity, my religion, my walk, is about taking and performing? Might I say that the other side of that, then, would be giving and serving. If what my Christianity was known for was giving and serving, I would never have to doubt that I'm in the right place. But it starts with this. Do I really want to be a friend of the vineyard owner? Or do I just want to show up to work? Because if I read this story and all I wanted was to work, I'd think the best thing I could do is show up at the 11th hour, wouldn't you? And you know there are people that are like that. I'll live my life, I'll do all the things, get the best of this world, and then basically give my life to Christ on my deathbed. And if all you think is about getting heaven and that's your reward, why wouldn't you want to do it that way? But if it's about having a relationship with the one to whom all of heaven and earth will bow to, and to have an intimate, loving relationship with, every moment you wait is a wasted moment. So listen, as we go to prayer, I just want to ask you, not where you're at in regards to when you were hired, so to speak. Because let's face it, some here, maybe you've never gone into the field and told anyone about Jesus. Maybe you've never stuck your hand to a grape. Maybe you've never gone to the field. Are you willing? Are you eager? Because my God withheld nothing to redeem us. There was no reservation. Jesus was sent as the payment for our sins and died on a cross so that all our sins could be paid for. Every one of them. And it wasn't to get you to go to heaven. It was to have a relationship with you and me. And when he died on that cross, the person you were, lustful, angry, vengeful, gossiping, insecure, self-consumed, fearful. That person died when you said yes to Jesus, if you have. And when he rose again, he made clear there's a whole new life now and it's not the one you used to be. So here's my question to you. Have you said yes to that gift? If you've never put your hand to the grape, I'm doing it right now. I'm demonstrating. Will you say yes to this Jesus? If you had said yes to this Jesus, notice what we sang today. Use me.
And I pray now that as we go to prayer, that God would put within us a desire to be eager, to be used. And no but God stuff. Because God knows when to use you and not. He's not going to use you and destroy your marriage or family. He's not going to use you at the detriment of something that he ordains. The question is, are you willing? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you for what you've done in it. I thank you for the way you've spoken. I thank you, Lord, that you are kind. And if we've ever thought somehow that what we've done, we've done for you so that therefore you are indebted to us, forgive us for that nonsense. And I pray today, God, that you would change us. Those who have called upon your name and claim you as, as our Savior and Lord Jesus. That we would not act like those that have some form of sick entitlement, but those rather who have a beautiful relationship. That our eyes to you would be ones of humility, amazement, and wonder for the kindness you continually and incessantly dump on us. But also, Lord, that our eyes to each other would be humble, celebrant, and compassionate. Oh God, please, that today you would transform us to people who are eager. And Lord, I recognize that there's a lot of things that we could try to put in the way of that that we think are legitimate excuses that you know are not. And deep down we do too. But today, Lord, wipe away all of those things and show us, Lord, that all of those excuses are just basically disguised disobedience. They are rebellion in masquerade. And God, I just confess to you that there are parts of my heart that would love the couch more, Lord, than the mission field, than the vineyard. And God, I pray you would slay that part and that I would have a heart to run to the battle, to run to the vineyard and just be amazed at how great it is to be in the field at all. So God, I pray for everyone here that's called on your name that you still within us today an eagerness and a willingness to go where you lead us, to the field you call us to, to set our hands to that, Lord, which brings forth the greatest fruit. And right now, within this room, within the sound of this voice, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and you know that you need to, but you haven't, I want to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you agree, I ask you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let that be my prayer, so be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I'm a sinner and I stand before you guilty on my own merit. There's not enough works I could do to make me innocent. I'm already guilty. But you've told me you love me and you want me and sent Jesus to pay the price on the cross for my sins. And there he paid for them all. 
and rose again and offers me a brand new life. And to that I say yes. If what you want to do is wash me clean, make me innocent, forgive me, I say yes. If you want to do is slay the old me and give me a brand new me, somebody that desires you and has a relationship with you, Lord, then they say yes. Have me now. I confess Jesus as my Savior, dying on the cross, my resurrected Lord at the resurrection. And I hand my life over to you and say, make it something beautiful now. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen.